Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Along with bringing you updates and critical information happening all around the world, we're always fortunate when we have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers. They're practicing on the ground in jurisdictions all around the world, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical information from members in each region of the world. Today, we're going to be chatting with two of our members in Eastern Pennsylvania. Joining us today on the program are Adam Santucci and Andrew Levy, members at McNeese, our member in Eastern Pennsylvania. Adam and Andrew are joining us from their office in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Today, these gentlemen are going to share with us a brief update on the recent surge in COVID-19 cases in the United States, along with advice for employers regarding the vaccine. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. How are we doing today? Great. We very much appreciate the opportunity to be here. We're new to the ELA, but I can tell you we've been blown away by the resources and the quality of the attorneys in the firm and the alliance. So thank you very much for having us. Wonderful. So Adam, let's start the discussion with you. What are states doing to address the recent surge in COVID-19 cases? Generally, states have been following the guidance of the CDC. The rules have been changing as the recent surge has become a concern for the states. Generally speaking, states to continue to require masking, temperature screening, social distancing, and specific response protocols in the workplace. More recent restrictions have included you know, restrictions on indoor gatherings, shutting downs of bars and restaurants, theaters, and other places where large groups may gather. Also, many states are requiring employers to direct their employees to telework if at all possible. A number of states have adopted that type of restriction. Recently, California has implemented a rule to require mandatory COVID screening if a workplace has three or more positive cases. And that seems to be the first of the states to require testing in a specific set of circumstances. Many states have and continue to require employers to provide safety training, COVID-related safety training for all of their employees. So Virginia has also adopted some detailed safety regulations, but it seems that California seems to have the most onerous workplace requirements for employers. So Andrew, tell us what recommendations is your firm giving now based on these efforts? Well, Peter, certainly if employers haven't done so recently, now's the time to review and update your policies and procedures, your COVID-19 safety guidelines. As Adam mentioned, there are some important new restrictions in certain states. And you know, some of the recent guidance from the CDC has actually, in some ways, made it easier for manufacturing employers, especially, or other employers where employees have to work together to continue operations during the pandemic. For example, in early December, the CDC reduced the recommended quarantine period for close contacts from 14 days to 10 days. And the 10-day period can be shortened to as few as seven days if the close contact remains symptom-free and takes a COVID-19 test and tests negative. Although employers certainly should do everything possible to ensure that employees are staying more than six feet apart, social distancing in the workplace, there are some work activities where that might not always be possible. So you'll have close contacts in certain workplaces when someone does come up positive. And the reduction in the close contact quarantine period is potentially significant for such employers because it enables them to keep more employees at work and to do so safely. As Adam also mentioned, many states now require employee training on those COVID-19 safety guidelines. 
This can be difficult in a pandemic because traditional modes of employee training basically involve bringing large groups of people into an indoor space and having them sit close together while they're trained. So while states require training, it's challenging to accomplish that while still maintaining social distancing. So we've worked with many clients to develop webcasts or other computer-based training to develop programs where employees, if they don't have access to computers, can come into a large area and watch a training program while maintaining appropriate social distancing. Another aspect of the technological advances and the supply chain advances that enable employers to remain up and running during this very difficult time is the greater availability of testing. And many employers are moving towards testing of asymptomatic employees or surveillance testing, whether it's testing that's available in the local community or whether it's mail order testing where you send kits back to the lab via FedEx or UPS overnight and you get the results within 24 to 48 hours, that testing of asymptomatic employees enables employers to identify people who are positive, remove them from the workplace before there's an opportunity for greater spread. So that's important as well. Some employers are considering some of the aspects that the California regulations have thrown out there as guidelines in other states as well. For example, as Adam mentioned, California now requires testing of everyone if there's more than three cases in a, quote, workplace. But those regulations recognize that you can have separate workplaces within the same facility, so long as employees don't interact with one another between those two departments or other areas. And that means no common restrooms, no common break rooms or lunch rooms, no common areas where people congregate. Just you know, walking past one another in a hallway with a mask on doesn't mean you're in the same workplace, but otherwise you can't have any common bathrooms, common break rooms, those types of things. So the whole point of that is to ensure that there's not the opportunity for the virus to spread as between employees in different work groups. And that's always been a good practice, but many clients are looking at that more closely now, certainly in California, but in other jurisdictions as well. Finally, the CDC relatively recently emphasized the importance of ventilation in indoor work areas. And that can be something as simple as a window fan or portable HEPA filters. So employers should look closely at whether there are ways relatively inexpensive ways to increase indoor ventilation to reduce the likelihood of spread of the virus. So these are some of the things that we see our clients working on these days. Excellent, excellent feedback there. But, you know, guys, we've had a major development here. So now at this point, there's two companies here in the U.S. at least, and globally, I know they're expanding as well, but vaccines have been approved and they're already being distributed. So our hope, and I know everybody's feeling this way, is that this will help fight further spread But let's talk about what the situation at work is all about here. Can an employer mandate that an employee receive a vaccine in the U.S.? Adam, what are your thoughts on that? Generally speaking, the answer is yes. And and in fact, a number of employers already do have mandatory vaccine programs for things like the traditional flu vaccine. Recently, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission updated its COVID-related guidance to specifically address the issue of a mandatory vaccine program. It does come with some caveats and some exceptions. As the EEOC guidance makes clear, any mandatory vaccination program has to account for accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act, 
pregnancy-related accommodations, and religious accommodations under Title VII. So while it's certainly lawful, there are some things that employers will need to do and consider before implementing a mandatory vaccination program. Other employers are not going to go with the mandatory program, but are instead going to encourage or incentivize employees to obtain the vaccination voluntarily and seek voluntary compliance, while still others might take a hands-off approach to the vaccination issue completely. In any case, employers are going to want to make clear exactly what their expectations are and communicate those expectations to employees. Now really is the time to start considering whether or not you're going to adopt a mandatory program or a voluntary program in your workplace in the U.S. as the phased rollout of the vaccination continues. And, and there's certainly a number of additional considerations that employers will need to think through as they finalize and adopt their plan. Well, let's follow up on some of those considerations. Andrew, what are some of the key considerations employers need to think about when implementing a vaccine program? Sure. Accommodation issues, who pays for it, when it'll be available. All those things are certainly certainly on the table. And with respect to when it'll be available, it does look like we're now moving into phase 1B, as it's called, in early January. And most states following the CDC ACIP guidelines, which were just issued, are going to be providing priority to frontline essential workers. And what that means is perhaps going to differ a little bit from state to state, but manufacturers of critical supplies. Certainly healthcare suppliers in most areas will be in that frontline essential worker category. So as early as January, many clients could see the vaccine made available to their employees. Of course, if the employer adopts a mandatory vaccination policy, there are more legal issues to wrestle with. In the recent guidance, the EEOC suggests that if an employee can't be vaccinated due to a disability, pregnancy, or religious belief, and there's no reasonable accommodation to enable that employee to continue working at this phase of the pandemic, then it would be lawful for the employer to exclude the worker from the workplace. But the EEOC suggests it wouldn't necessarily be lawful to terminate the worker. So what does this exclusion from the workplace, this leave of absence, look like? For example, if the reason for not being vaccinated is a disability, it may also be a serious health condition under the FMLA, such that the FMLA applies. And these are issues that employers should be thinking about now, getting out in front of, especially if the employer is considering mandatory vaccination program. Also, what do such employers do with employees who refuse to be vaccinated for reasons unrelated to a disability, pregnancy, or religious belief? Are such workers excluded from the workplace at this phase of the pandemic with restoration rights once we come out the other side in several months? Or are they just terminated from employment for refusing to be vaccinated under the mandatory program? Also, if the vaccine's mandatory, then the time spent getting it is likely hours worked. So there are wage and hour issues to consider. There are also National Labor Relations Act protected concerted activity issues. If an employer is going to implement a mandatory vaccine program, even in a non-union environment, and a group of employees strongly objects to that, they're banding together to express their concerns about the mandatory vaccination program may very well be protected concerted activity and employers will need to navigate those issues as well. One aspect of the vaccination process that may complicate a mandatory vaccination program is that the vaccines are approved through the FDA emergency use authorization process, which requires that individuals 
are advised of their right to refuse to take any drug approved through emergency use authorization. So at the point of vaccination, employees are going to be told that they, they're going to be given a fact sheet, which includes information about the risks and indicates that they can choose not to be vaccinated, which may be confusing to some employees who are being told by their employer, you have to be vaccinated to work here. But then they go get the vaccine and they're told that they can refuse it. So I don't believe that the emergency use authorization process means that a private employer must continue to allow a worker who refuses to get the vaccine to come to work, but it may create a perception among reluctant employees that they have certain rights to refuse the vaccine. And those issues are going to have to be sorted out as we move into this next phase. So whether the employer will adopt a mandatory program or just highly recommend Employee education is very important at this phase. Employers should begin communicating with employees to build enthusiasm for the vaccine and gain employee acceptance. Surveys are showing, in general, that among the U.S. population, vaccine acceptance is increasing. I had read a survey from the Kaiser Family Foundation the other day, which indicated that between September and the end of October, there was a 10% increase in the number of people who said that they would be vaccinated once the vaccine was available. So that's a positive trend, but there are still about 30% of people in our country who are reluctant to be vaccinated. And that's an issue that employers are going to need to reckon with as we move forward in this process. Finally, you know, there's an issue now of what will it mean once employees start to get vaccinated. And that's going to be the next phase of issues to wrestle with. At this stage, the CDC recommends that people who have been vaccinated continue to follow all safety precautions. Wear a mask, even though you've been vaccinated. Maintain social distancing, even though you've been vaccinated. But this may change as more people are vaccinated and as the science develops. The big question that I have is whether someone who's been vaccinated and then becomes a close contact of a positive case has to quarantine. The CDC has indicated that people who have had COVID and then recover, so they have antibodies at that point, presumably, if such people are exposed to a positive case, they don't need to quarantine because the presumption is that they have the antibodies and are not susceptible to the virus for a period of 90 days after their case. So you would think that the same holds true with respect to the vaccination, but there is some science that suggests that maybe that won't be the case. So there are all kinds of very big, important questions that are going to have to be answered in the coming weeks, and they're going to have a real impact on exactly what this vaccination process and this next phase of safety precautions is going to look like for employers. So Andrew, thank you for that. That was a very complete and detailed answer of all the things that are going on around the world and all the challenges I think that we're going to be having as these vaccines roll out. But let's bring it closer to your home. Adam, I'd like to chat a little bit about Pennsylvania. So tell me what's unique in Pennsylvania these days? What is the governor doing? What are some of the protocols and processes you're going through? Yeah, recently, Governor Wolf issued further restrictions here in Pennsylvania, limiting indoor gatherings, limiting outdoor gathering. And most recently, the Pennsylvania Department of Health issued its interim plan for the vaccination distribution, which aligns closely with the CDC guidance on phasing of the distribution. One key issue here in Pennsylvania to be resolved is, will Pennsylvania follow strictly the CDC and the CISA guidance in terms of defining workers and workplaces, or will Pennsylvania take a more different approach in terms of 
who will be in line for the vaccination as it becomes available. And that's something Andrew and I continue to watch closely as guidance comes from the federal government and then the states then implement that guidance. Great. Well, gentlemen, Adam, Andrew, thank you so much for participating today. Folks, if you'd like to reach Adam Santucci, Andrew Levy, or any of the lawyers from around the world, find them on the ELA website at ela.law. Just go to the big Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page, click on the drop-down box. You'll find your lawyer there. Also, you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to on-demand content, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.